Welcome to machine learning. Well, uh, a lot of people ask me, well, why did you subscribe to DataCamp? And, uh, well, I've got 111 courses bookmarked. Those are like uh, between four and 20 hour courses. Um, you know, they, they vary from easy to difficult. But I like, I'm a kinematic learner, and that means I learn by doing. Um, strange enough, because in college I had to, one of my best classes I ever took was computer theory class. And uh, it was a lot of memorization of definitions. But the concepts I used, uh, quite extensively to solve a lot of hard problems. Uh, one, I, I uh, worked for uh, on the F-16 doing the redundant block diagrams um, and figuring out probability paths to calculate uh, uh, operational or logic unit uh, reliability and then also at a higher level to predict uh, mission reliability using uh, uh, the data that was being collected on the, these different probabilities. And uh, uh, I used a uh, linked list, but I also uh, kind of built a, a grammar, I was thinking about grammars and, and how to and graph trees and things like that. And that and that was something that I learned in computer theory. Uh, you know, it's interesting because we talked about Chomsky normals and grammars and regular expressions and compilers. And, you know, these are all the things that result from computer theory. And uh, now we're starting to see some of these uh, concepts that I uh, studied in computer theory being now applied into machine learning and uh, I just find it interesting that I've kind of migrated this way so uh, you know if I, I looked at the courses and I'm about uh, well I think 42 45 percent through my uh, just my my first certification and I think there's two assessments I've got to take and, um, so you know it's it's a I'm feeling pretty good about it. I'm, I'm starting to go back through my notes now and review it and uh, and break it down. And you know, that's just how you learn programming languages. I think it, programming is a lot about practice because it's so massive. You know, you have to be thinking about the concepts and what you want to do, and and then how you're going to accomplish that. So. Um, you know, the world of Stack Overflow is interesting, too, because it's putting out a lot of content. But at the same time, you want professional content, too, mixed with... Uh, you're trying to extrapolate... I would say from Stack Overflow, you're trying to extrapolate what the professional techniques for solving problems are versus the amateur. And, uh, and they seem to do a pretty good job punishing the amateur answers... Um, and just picking it apart and so that the more uh, professional answers surface to the top. But uh, we know, uh, but rather than have to sort through all that information, 
um, I wanted to get more of a, a site that they, they pull in people who already are professionals that have lots of experience and have had the academic training. So, that, you know, it's just, it's just great. So it's my style of learning, um, not too many tests, so I don't have to get bogged down in that kind of pressure. And, but at the same time, having a few assessments to make sure that I really understand uh, the material. And what I've been doing too is, uh, you know, going out and getting some of the data uh, on different GitHubs and then analyzing that data using these different uh, techniques. And, you know, those are, are good ways to learn. Um, you know, and ultimately, once you get through the certifications and, you know, looking for more opportunities in that field. I think the data science, um, they said that there's kind of this uh, uh, depression in deep learning. And I thought about that and, you know, why would there be a depression in deep learning? And I think the reason why there's a depression in deep learning is uh, one of the big problems with deep learning and image recognition is understanding what the machine is uh, is identifying as signal. <clears throat> so, in those hidden layers, um, you know, it might be detecting edges or it might be detecting contrast. And, uh, but in the further deeper layers, it might be identifying those edges then as a face or a cat or a dog, you know, or, or they, and they might be segmenting uh, to multiple output channels or outputs. So I can say, okay, uh, it includes a picture of a dog and a cat. So there might be a confidence level for uh, an object that's a dog and a cat and maybe a pillow uh, so that, you know, uh, it doesn't mistake uh, cat sitting on a pillow as a dog and so that those those type of classifications uh, are important but there needs to be visual tools that help us understand how the classifier is working um, in the early days when or I wish not say early days but in the uh, some of the examples that uh, that I took on Keras that they show you how to do the forward calculation on the neural net and the, to get the weights and then you get the bias and um, through that then you can kind of predict what the neural net will do in terms of its output and but it works great when you're dealing with small number of neuron or nodes but uh, when you get to large number of layers like you know I think they're up to like 50 layers uh, large networks holding, you know, capable of classifying millions of different things, uh, then it becomes more challenging to understand how the neural net uh, was able to find that signal. And uh, as we were talking about, like, identifying galaxies in the, from the data, you know, how did the, how did it identify a galaxy versus a star and you know the, and it had to be trained on what the simulation of the known universe the, was the understanding of 
and then it was able to find similar patterns. And maybe it was able to find it even better. And the same is probably true with medical imaging, you know, and identification that uh, you know, it has to go through volumes of, of data and uh, be able to correctly classify anomalies that it's discovering. So you don't want too many false positives. But, uh, yeah, it is, it's, uh, so I would say that, number one, the, the probably the, the depression and deep learning is caused from, you know, the rapid acceleration of deep learning and uh, its scalability to the cloud. But at the same time, the confusion and interpreting the results and verification of those results. How do you verify that the, the machine is correct? And what if it comes up with a signal that's totally contrary to uh, existing assumptions and theories. You know, that's one of the big challenges when you look at data is you have to have some sort of framework in which to judge the data or measure the data. And those those are based on biases that, you know, we, we have the data tells a story, but we have to be able to have some sort of framework in which to understand that. Just like we, we don't accept, uh, you know, flying cars or, or anti-gravity uh, or defiance of the second law of thermodynamics. If your data supported the violation of those laws, then you might come into question whether or not the data was accurate or, um, you know, what the conclusions that the machine was drawing and, uh, and possibly even just ignore it because it's outside of existing framework of, of uh, acceptable theory. And, and um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's just an interesting idea of how different theories or hypotheses are formed. And that's one of the things that's kind of fascinating about when uh, machine learning, like especially on XGBoost is when you're looking at those P coefficients, it's uh, hypothesis testing. So you're gonna build, form a, a guess, and you know it's based on some sort of data that you, you're look, analyzing, and then you're gonna check that guess to see if the coefficients support and those co your conclusions. And uh, so by analyzing uh, the coefficients, you might see some correlation, and you might draw the conclusion that certain features are contributing to the different outcomes that you're trying to predict, either as a regressor or a classifier on the XGBoost. And, and so, that, you know, basically machine learning does five things, and uh, it can classify, it can linearize, it can, uh, it can discover pattern. It can determine when things are kind of weird, you know, if there's outliers. So you're looking at the statistical models and you can do a box plot and, uh, and you're looking at standard deviations and variations from the mean and anything that's going beyond a certain uh, standard devi deviation standard is considered an outlier. And those outliers can be uh, considered to be noise in the system. You know, like for example, if uh, you're, at, you're asking a survey 
and someone puts that they've been alive for a thousand years. You know that that's not true, so you know that becomes an outlier, and uh, you know it, it would distort your your model. So you'd have to you know you'd have to uh, uh, discount that. Um, so there's there's those type of uh, uh, things, and we. Uh, uh, Another area I kind of like uh, I've been thinking about is you know, where is the where is the practicality of the AI going? You know, this see we, we kind of discount the idea of generalized AI because it's just it's so uh, phenomenally impossible to do. But uh, one that I, I kind of think is is. Uh, the need for context because people are getting now accustomed to voice recognition and they're used to they're, they're wanting to now talk to the machine they, they don't want to just uh, ask Siri a question they want to talk they want to have a conversation and so we've talked about how self-driving cars are really a conversation with the car and the environment around it you know it's talking about it's seeing a road. It's saying you know the road surface is flat. Um, you know it's all moving. It's a, it detects that there's four lanes. That you know in the second lane it's now open and there's no cars. So I'm going to move over into the second lane. So you know it's really a, a navigation between lanes, checking to see if it's safe to move between the lanes. What lanes are uh, going in which direction? And so it's asking. You know, it's making a, a pretty good conversation of, of the world around us. People are starting to want that too from uh, Siri and Alexa. And uh, I was talking to some friends last night and they were saying, yeah, you know, it gets really frustrating when you want to go into a deeper analysis of what the Siri or Alexa or, or you know, even other voice recognition systems uh, are doing and it can it loses context and so that's one of the, the real challenges is how do you keep context uh, to the conversation so there has to be a, a level of self-referential knowledge that the algorithm is keeping so if we're if we're talking now about the uh, Millennials for example we, we need to now think about what the relationship is to this conversation. Maybe we're talking about housing, so we're talking about uh, millennial buying patterns, you know, income uh, levels, and perhaps we're even talking about uh, their styles, like their attitudes, wanting to have flexible work schedules, wanting to have genuine relationships. They want to be genuine, uh, authentic in their foods that they eat. Uh, they're concerned about the chemicals that are going into their body. And uh, also, maybe they're concerned about the political environment. You know, it was interesting that Bernie Sanders was very popular among the millennials. 
but yet uh, he dropped out of the race against Trump. So everything that is a function of this context, that as we think about context, we uh, you know we're uh, uh, left to kind of think about the significance of the conversations that we're having with the machine. You know, what are we getting out of the conversation? And so the machines have got to be thinking also are extracting a framework and building a conversation with us that uh, is makes sense and, and uh, it can retain in its network some information long term. And so that when we, res we resume a conversation, it knows the context in which we're talking about. It understands, uh, it understands these uh, conversations and it can continue on a conversation with us. And uh, I think that's where the voice recognition has to go. Johnny, 
who was the uh, Cobra Kai national champion, I think two times running, returning as kind of a, a broken down person, home, nearly homeless. His uh, son, very is married and had a, married a beautiful woman, but she's not, uh, she's uh, not doing well in terms of uh, her, her, her survival. She's, she's kind of a broken person too. And, uh, and then his building his school and he's found a student who wants to learn karate and he's teaching him the Cobra Kai way or the way of the fist and the more I think about it it's kind of a paradox because when you fight you're you're fighting to survive you're fighting to win uh, you're, you're looking for ways to escape from danger and uh, and it's a chess game you know it, it's kind of interesting. I started off watching it and uh, it looked good and then it got into this kind of chess game between uh, LaRusso and, and uh, Johnny. I, I wish I remembered his last name. And uh, I was uh, watching it last night and it's just, it, it was getting better. And he was teaching them how to get tough. And then it didn't seem like the Cobra Kai was really that bad because it, he was teaching them to be tough, but it's that challenge of the teachings of Miyagi, you know, which were karate for is for defense, defense only. You don't go out there and inflict pain and become a tyrant. And that and that's also the challenge of of any type of power is that you can become a tyrant with it. And, his lead student, um, he gets beat up pretty good the first time with the school bullies, and uh, but then he becomes kind of this hero, and so this personification of Johnny is now being transferred to his student, and he's becoming not only powerful, but he's becoming popular, so he's now pulled, pulled a large number of kids into the dojo, and they're practicing the Cobra Kai way, which is strike first, strike hard, no mercy, and uh, that part of no mercy is interesting, because that was the main factor that defeated his his master, was that uh, his master had no mercy, and and so when he was trying to kill Miyagi, uh, Miyagi used his own force against Johnny's master. And uh, ends up um, he ends up a broken man too. So there's a lot of tragedies in the story of Karate Kid. And Miyagi says that uh, you know the the real solution is to find balance in your life. That you're not you're learning power or the way of the fist that seems to be universal in a confrontation. 
but at the same time, you're learning balance. And you have to remember that Miyagi had that incredible golden hand. He could break things that even Sato couldn't break. Remember the big log? He could break that with his hand. That was from his family's tradition of Okinawa karate. And if you study the Okinawa karate, it's really fascinating how much power they generate. But their their forearms and their back muscles are huge, you know, they, they, and that's from constant uh, you know, constant work and conditioning. And uh, so their hitting power is phenomenal. And you watch the uh, Okinawan masters break big blocks of wood. You know, it's very impressive. But so is Kempo. Kempo breaks you know, ice and they break big blocks of wood too. So, you know, that power is in there. Um, but uh, we also emphasize kicking. Kicking is the reason why is because your legs are so powerful. And so when you look at uh, styles like Bushinru, where they kick really hard, or Taekwondo, where they're kicking really hard, then, you know, it's, it's, uh, the, the Cobra Kai sounds even better, you know, because it sounds like, you know, it's, everyone is fighting hard to survive, and there can only be one group that, that does, the one, the one that trains the hardest, fights the hardest, is probably going to have the best fighters, and Johnny's like, you know, he's telling them that they're all weak, and you know, he's going to build them, make them tough, and make them a fighter. So there's, you know, the, the universal conditioning and training seems to be applying. He doesn't seem like he's a, 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 a bad guy. And, but LaRusso is scared to death because of Cobra Kai. He knows what it's like. He knows what they mean, what they will do, and their attitudes. And, uh, and he doesn't want them to come back into the valley, but he's overruled. And so, you know... He does kata, and he he's practicing the Miyagi way. But <clears throat> at the same time, he's he's training uh, Johnny's son. Johnny's son's got a job at Rusalado, and he thought he could infiltrate and you know create some rivalry with his dad. But now he's starting to like Larusso, and he's training with Larusso, and and. Uh, and so there's kind of a paradox that's going on because Russo is the enemy of Johnny, but yet he's training his son and helping his son become a man. And uh, so there, there's definitely a, a war and, a, and there's alliances within the families that are switched over. It kind of reminds me of Star Wars. I wonder if it's going to kind of follow a similar Star Wars uh, theme where... Palpatine's really defected to the Skywalker side and and helped to overthrow the Emperor. You know, it's like uh, Larusso's in power now, but you can see Johnny starting to make his move to to fight back and come back. And he's managed to uh, get back into the All Treasure Valley tournament for all uh, all treasure. Valley Tournament. So that's where I'm at on season one, and I, I, you know, 
all. Like, I stayed up till midnight watching these, and it was pretty intense. And I, I thought uh, um, that it was a very interesting series. The other one is Numbers, and he's a mathematician, kind of a young, early savant. Um, really good at numbers, but he understands equations. And interestingly enough, he also is very good at computer programming. Uh, one of the episodes, they have some encryption and the hard drive has been wiped. They flip the bits on the hard drive. And he's trying to, he wrote an algorithm to, to sample some of the data predict what the bits were and he flips them back and then um, he's able to discover that there's some sort of algorithm for trying to predict uh, sports outcomes based on athlete profiles and then he realizes that this was uh, being used by a think tank to decide how to allocate government resources for poor neighborhoods. And anyway, it's in a strange twist, it was the um, assistant who discovered this algorithm, or may have helped with the algorithm with the uh, lead researcher, and that realizing that this would be no money for neighborhoods, poor neighborhoods, like the one that he grew up in, uh, decides that the professor has to die because it's so evil. And Charlie, which is a, one of the char characters, says to him, you know, but that doesn't justify killing. And then the other mathematician and research assistant basically says, you know, that he understands that he's consulting for the NSA and that he's going to eventually do something that's going to be far more evil than what he did because more people are going to be hurt by the work that he's doing and he's just uh, being, he's just being kind of pious about the fact that they're no that they are really the same just one um, was convicted of murder and the other or caught for murder and, and the other one hadn't yet but that he would do something terrible in the future and uh, so there's a there's a kind of an evil edge to the series you can kind of wonder if if the if Charlie is going to get caught in some of his research and he's going to have to make a choice between two two evils and maybe he's going to choose wrong and people are going to suffer because of his choices but you know he's, he's trying to it, they're trying to paint him as this academic and free spirited and uh, you know doing lecture and trying to solve hard problems in math and really trying to be outside of the realm of the FBI but the FBI is using his mathematics to fight uh criminals and make prediction of what the criminal behavior will be and, and where the criminal will strike. And so he says that math is logic 
had, not just numbers. He says there's number we'd use numbers every day, and it's true. We're becoming a, more of a perfect algorithm, you know. I'm gonna say quote, you know, everything has to be perfect, and uh, and a lot of it's driven by math. You know, statistics is driven by math, and. A lot of it, I, as I start thinking about it, it works a lot like uh, computer graphics. Like, so machine learning is a lot like computer graphics. You, in computer graphics, you create pipelines. In machine learning, you create pipelines. Uh, in computer graphics, you do vector multiplication. In machine learning, you do multiplication, uh, vector multiplication, dot products, cross products. Uh, you do matrix multiplication. Uh, graphics you're doing a lot of your transformations are matrix multiplications in machine learning you're doing uh, transformations from sometimes from one coordinate system to another uh, but uh, for example uh, you might regularize which would be basically converting to where the mean is zero and standard deviation is one so that, that's another coordinate system so you can think of trans, the, that transform as moving from one coordinate system to another. And then that allows the, uh, because now you've got a more of a Gaussian form, uh, statistically you're going to be more accurate in your predictions. So it, it does remind me a lot of computer graphics and as I get into the, into the uh, thinking of, uh, of machine learning statistical learning and so he's using he, he does a lot of these applications and he kind of explains some of the strange things with large numbers and also the logic of mathematics which sometimes it's not intuitive um, and how he's able to you know, make predictions and so it's really kind of I wonder if it's going to create some stronger interest in statistical thinking and watch some of the series, maybe try to apply some real life case data to, um, you know, obviously historical, you wouldn't want to work live, but uh, historical data to see, you know, is crime predictable? Uh, can they predict when things are going to occur? You know, in the past, uh, you know, something like Minority Report would be too impossible to predict. And even in Minority Report, they didn't really use the machine totally. They had the the three uh, sages, and they and they were using their premonitions to figure out what the future was. And strange stuff, but um, you know, it's it's uh, whatever their tapping into there I, I don't understand it but it uh, but it was the, the idea that the machine could not see the future but then there are algorithms like the Serapinsky algorithms that have been very good at predicting uh, patterns into the future for a few few cycles and so then it, if you can find things that are predictable like uh, fractals Recursive algorithms that, like 
perhaps computer or automat. And those algorithms can predict accurately the real physical world that uh, the idea that you cannot predict into certain cycles in the future would be false. So anyway, that's uh, some interesting ideas that I've had and uh, been thinking about. So for the next week, what am I thinking about? What I'm wanting to do for the next week? Um, well, it's going to be probably getting up early in the morning, taking Python classes. Right now I'm taking Python classes on List. And uh, Python was really uh, kind of an interesting language because it was its strong point was List and iterators. And it is so much easier than pipes and lambdas. I, I mean, it uses lambdas. In it. You can use a lambda in uh, expression. But it's amazing how the language and focus on list made Python so flexible, so usable. Because every there are a lot of our data is in list form. You can put dictionaries into a list. You can put strings into a list. You can put numbers into a list. And then uh, Python has comprehensions that are really great. So you can have an iterable, and then you can put a uh, run an iterable against the list and or items in a list, and then you can put conditions on that. And so what I what I'm finding is I've been writing code in Python is I write the natural language uh, description of what it's doing. And what I find is very fascinating is the uh, the actual code syntax is not much more uh, verbose than my actual natural language description of what I did. And so that's almost like it's a uh, pseudocode. And, I, and so you're sitting there thinking about, okay, I want to do this to this list. I want to find out what the square roots are. Or I want to you know, square everything. Uh, I want to check, uh, uh, you do some certain transformations against your list. And you write that what you want to do. And then the way you code it out is very close to the, your pseudocode. And it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's real interesting. Um, so there's also some utilities that you can use like zip. For example, if you have two lists and you want to bring them together into one list, uh, you can zip them. And if you need to, you can transpose them. So, um, uh, you would take the two lists, you could zip them together, and then also you can take that list and you can convert them to a dictionary. So you can go from list to a dictionary with key value pairs, and that can be done with just um, one API, with the zip API or the uh, data frame two array. So Pandas has some nice 
utilities for bringing data together to uh, create structure and, uh, and then to decompose that structure into um, meaningful structures. And so um, it seems kind of elementary, but I, I like the way that the data camp is is building you up. You got to you got to practice, you know, list and, and uh, you know when you're you're trying to analyze data and get to a certain uh, place, you, you you're you're wanting to do lots of transformations and stuff, and the, and the, that that's important to be able to do um, in Python. And I haven't jumped to R yet, uh, but I'll probably do that later once I get mastery over a list. Or Python. So that's probably a lot of be a lot of Python programming this week. And uh, starting to see some more applications in in uh, machine learning. It's kind of exciting. Well, until next week.